And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry, man. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the tantalizing Lisa Wolf. In this hour, Jack Moyle stars as the proprietor of the Cafe Tambourine in Cairo on Rocky Fortune from 1953. But we're going to start things off by listening to another Calling All Detectives episode. We listened to one a few weeks ago. We had a lot of people that uh, texted in and wrote in and said, hey, that was really interesting. And what makes it so interesting is, is that one man by the name of, uh, his name was J- Paul Barnes, played the role of Detective Jerry Browning. And Paul Barnes plays all of the voices. He was a man of a thousand voices. He plays all of the voices in these shows. And he worked with uh, a sound effects technician. It was just him and the technician in the studio at WGN in Chicago from 1945 until 1950. And it aired on the entire Mutual Network. So uh, these are great little, um, like you know, 10-minute detective episodes. This particular one is from December 2nd, 1948. You will hear Paul Barnes playing all the voices in this episode. Here it is. Part, uh, well, actually, we're going to play it uninterrupted. Here's Calling All Detectives. Calling All Detectives. When an embezzler stole a large sum of money, the greatest part of it vanished, even though none of it was spent. That is the situation on this page from my casebook, the casebook of Jerry Browning, private detective. If there's one thing I, Jerry Browning, have learned in ten years as a private detective, it's that people are unpredictable. Up ahead of me, George Rennie was walking just as fast as he could without actually running. There was a remote chance that he didn't know I was following him, in which case he might lead me to the place where he'd hidden the $30,000 he'd embezzled from the Mercantile Loan Company. But as Rennie got to the corner, he broke into a run, darted down an alley with me pounding along behind him. At the far end of the alley was a high brick wall, dead end. Okay, cop, you got me cornered. Now come and take me. Sure, Rennie, I'll come and take you, and it'll be a pleasure. I tore into him and almost got cold with an uppercut. After that, I fought him more carefully, watched for an opening, finally suckered him into throwing another right, stepped inside of it, and... That was all for Mr. Rennie. When he came to, I had the cuffs on him. All right, you took me. But if I ever get out, you and I will do this again. And the next time, I'll murder you. (laughs) 
When I got Rennie to headquarters, I learned that the police, acting on a tip, had found his hideout. But of the $30,000 Rennie had stolen, only $4,000 was recovered. The next day, Mr. Maynard, treasurer of the Mercantile Loan Company, paid me for the work I'd done. Capturing Rennie was an expert job of detection, Mr. Browning. And it's not your fault that we couldn't salvage more of the money he stole. If ever you need a recommendation, don't hesitate to use my name. Recommendations are very valuable in my business. And I felt fine for almost 24 hours when I learned that George Rennie had escaped. And I was expected to capture him all over again. I captured an embezzler, earned myself a vote of thanks, and then learned that the prisoner had escaped. Dawson stopped the police car in front of my house. Jerry, I'd feel better if you'd let a couple of my men stay at your place tonight, just in case. I shook my head. Oh, thanks, Dawson, but I'd rather not. Once I start worrying about guys like Rennie, I'm all through in this business. If it's all the same to you, I'll take my own chances. Dawson hesitated, then... Okay, Jerry. Good night. I walked up the two flights to my apartment, unlocked the door. Don't turn around, Browning. Don't make a sound. I've been waiting for you. Close the door. I did as instructed, walked slowly into the dark living room. Go ahead and shoot. Get it over with. No, you didn't shoot me when you had a chance. Stand still. I'll turn on the lights. Okay, turn around. I turned slowly, faced Rennie. He had no weapon of any kind. I could have slugged you, Browning, but I didn't. Because I thought maybe you'd listen to me. I'll listen. Pull up a chair. Sit down. Yeah, thanks. Rennie slumped down into the chair. I took my coat off, sat down too. Now, what's all this about? Rennie took a deep breath. It ain't easy to explain. You see, I'm an ex-con. Did two to five and a higher embezzlement. Same thing they want me for this time. Are you trying to tell me you didn't steal that money from McIntyre Lawn? No, I took it all right. But listen, why did they hire a guy like me as assistant cashier? And why did they leave money around where I could get my hands on it after they did hire me? And after I took it and hid it and they found it, what happened to 26,000 of it? I didn't get a chance to spend a dime, so where did all that money disappear to? That's what I wanted to talk to you about. It was the craziest story I'd ever heard. I questioned Rennie for an hour, and at the end of it, Rennie... You stay here. It's the only safe place in town for you tonight. Don't leave until I get back. It was pretty late, and it took quite a while for Mr. Maynard, treasurer of the Mercantile Loan Company, to answer the doorbell. And when he did answer, he only cracked the door an inch. It's okay, Mr. Maynard. It's me, Jerry Browning. We were inside before Maynard realized he was still holding a revolver in his hand. I'm sorry, Browning. He slipped the gun into his dressing gown pocket. With Rennie at large again, I've taken certain precautions. I needn't add how glad I am to see you. I sat down, lit a cigarette. Are you worried, Mr. Maynard? Rennie shouldn't have anything against you. After all, you hired him, 
Gave an ex-convict a chance to go straight if he could. Maynard slipped his hand into his dressing gown pocket. How did you know Rennie was an ex-convict, Mr. Browning? Just routine. They fingerprinted him today. <coughs> Checked the prints with Washington files. Discovered the record of an Ohio conviction. Maynard took his hand out of his pocket. You don't say. Yes, I, I did hire him, but I had no idea of his previous record. None whatever. I met Rennie at some gathering or other. He seemed like a decent sort. And I'm afraid I was negligent about checking into his background. You may be sure I'll never make that mistake again. I leaned back, blew smoke up at the ceiling. <sighs> I'll bet you won't. You're much too smart to pull something like this twice. By the way, how did you know where Rennie intended to hide his loot? Did you follow him every night after he left work? Maynard didn't say anything, just put his hand into his pocket again, pulled out the gun, and fired at me point blank. Except that I was waiting for it and died at him the instant that gun came into view. It was very easy to take it from him because people like that are all through the first time they miss. All right, Mr. Maynard. I arrest you for assault with intent to kill, not to mention compounding a felony. Let's go. It was almost morning before I went back to my apartment for Rennie. Found him still there. Maynard has confessed, Rennie. We've got the 26,000 and the complete story. He used you as a cat's paw. Hired you in the hope that you'd steal the money so that he could steal it from you and from his company. But you understand, that doesn't make you any less guilty. Yeah, I understand. It's okay. It was a strange case. And it wound up with two men going to jail. Rennie with a two-year term. Maynard for from five to ten. I didn't press the intent to kill charge. I figured I'd provoke that. Just as much as Rennie had been provoked into stealing again. Like I said, people are unpredictable. And just because they slug you or pat your shoulder once doesn't mean they'll do the same thing the next time. Listen next time to Calling All Detectives. Mystery drama, mystery quiz, and a chance for you to match wits with yours truly, Jerry Browning, Private Detective. There you have it, calling all detectives, all the voices there, played by one guy, Paul Barnes. and uh, That's so cool. I know, he did a great job, right? Absolutely. De- December 2nd, 1948, uh, broadcast from WGN in Chicago across the entire Mutual Network. Uh, great series. We'll play more of those for you. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's Rocky Fortune. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. All right, we're going to tune in now to Rocky Jordan. Good drama that came to CBS Radio in 1948 and lasted until 1951. Jordan was an American restaurateur and amateur detective and the proprietor of the Cafe Tambourine located in Cairo, which was the gateway to the ancient East where adventure and intrigue unfold against the backdrop of antiquity. Each week, Jordan became involved in a mystery or adventure, and uh, Jack Moyles, then George Raft, starred as Rocky Jordan. And uh, other cast members were Jay Novello, Lawrence Dobkin, and Lou Krugman. 
It's a really, really good series and uh, on the air for uh, several years. It was interesting that um, George Raft, who was a big, big movie star, played this role for the last uh, couple of years it was on the air. This is a broadcast from December 11th, 1949, called The Veiled People. This stars Jack Moyles. Here's part one now of Rocky Jordan. It's the Rocky Jordan Show. And I'm Rocky Jordan. We take you now to Cairo and the Cafe Tambourine for a world of adventure with Rocky Jordan. Do you ever hear of the Munda Oasis to the south of Algiers? It's surrounded by sand, miles of it in all directions. It's called the Land of Fear. And how did I know? They told me. They were tall, wore blue flowing robes and long black veils, and each had a knife sheathed to the wrist. From a little ways off, you might think they were women. They weren't. They were men on a mission of murder. The Café Tambourine, crowded with tourists, camel drivers, women, cheats, forgotten men down on their luck, the lonely and the lost. For this is Cairo, gateway to the ancient east, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Veiled People. Tambourine gets all sorts of people, but this kind of man was new to me. Tall, muscular, with piercing dark eyes, black silken hair and thin beard, sunbaked skin that turned light below the eyes. In spite of his size, his hands were delicate, and he might have been graceful except for the ill-fitting white robe and his complete uncertainty. I watched him as he came back to where I was wiping some glasses behind the bar. My name is Gerard. I would work for you, sir. I get all the help I need, sorry. I need money. I will work very hard for only a few francs. You don't pay in francs around Cairo. Where are you from, anyway? If I do good work, you do not care. Well, you ought to be a good caravan driver. Look up Ali Ben down at the camel stalls. I do not want to drive camels. I would work hard for you, scrub floors, sweep. With this broom, I will show you. I stay on the other side of the bar. I said nothing doing. I clean up very good. You will see. Cut it, will you? Look out with that broom. Gerard! Oh, I am most sorry. I'll bet you are. That was expensive liquor. It'll cost you plenty. But there is no money. So now you see, I have to work for you. Is that not so, sir? Yeah. All right, get busy, Sharon. There was nothing to do but let him work it out. It was all new to him, but he was tireless. And by night, he had the place as spotless as my grandmother's kitchen. The Cairo streets had him confused, so I helped direct him to an address on the Sharia El Gama. But he was back bright and early the next day, hard at work. That evening, I told him he'd worked off his debt, gave him a few piastres, and said he could stay on. Whoever he was or where he came from, he seemed like a good man to have around. He thanked me and hurried away. I figured the tambourine had had its fill of strange characters for a while, but a few minutes later, there were two more. They were tall and erect, dressed in blue robes. It wasn't just the fact that they blocked the door that sent me hurrying up front, but something else. The black veils that covered their faces. Look well over the room, Jeb. 
the eyes regard each person, Hogarth. All right, M.C. boys, the fun's over. Take the masquerade someplace else. Tell us now where he is. We'll talk when you take off the disguise. You know, your wives will be missing those veils. The insult, Hogar. So now we show him the knives, Jeff. You see? Sheathed to the wrists. Sharp for the throat of the offender. Yeah. Now, where is the one who calls himself Gerard? Gerard? What's your interest? It is one which brings us from far across the sand. From the land of fear we come. Silence, Jeff. We talk only of the shameless one. As you say, the one who calls himself Gerard. He's not around. But he will return here. Maybe. You got quite a wait. The people of the desert are doomed to patience. We will wait outside until the shameless one returns. Headquarters, Sergeant Greco speaking. Uh, hello, Greco. This is Rocky. Put Sam on, will you? The Captain Sabaya's not here, Mr. Jones. And where do I find him? He is in Port Said on an extradition matter. Now, kindly state your business. Uh, I want some of your men over here on the double. And why? A bunch of characters are scratching around outside, a little too anxious with knives. Indeed. Your tambourine has a way of attracting the disreputable. All right, just hurry, Greco, before they make trouble. Proceed, please. Describe him quickly. Oh, you can't miss him. Three of them. Tall, wearing blue robes. You fear the fellahim? Well, these aren't just farmers, Greco. They're different. Oh, and get this. They all wear veils. Mr. Jolt, listen to me. You will leave them alone. Do not so much as look at them twice. Oh, cut it, Greco. They aren't women. They're men. Men wearing veils, Mr. Jordan? Now, you figure it out. Now, get busy. Mr. Jordan, it appears that once again your mind is clouded from the wares of your cafe. I suggest you get some sleep. When you awake, you may call me again if you remember anything. Until then, good night, Mr. Jordan. Oh, Greco, listen to me. Ah. That meant I had no help from the police, not with Greco on duty. As though that wasn't enough, Chris popped his head in the door just then with some news. He'd just been checking the cash in the register up front, and it was almost 100 pounds short. In spite of all the confusion, Gerard had only been gone 15 minutes. Chris had an idea, and so did I. And that gave me one more good reason to look up Gerard. I ducked out the back way and headed east up the hill into the native quarter on my way to the Shari El Gama. I thought I'd shaken the veiled characters, but the blue robe flapping half a block behind told me different. I stepped it up and hopped into a doorway and waited. As he came by, I was out, twisting his robe at the throat. I have to talk fast. What's it about? Why do you want Gerard? The knife will answer. He suddenly twisted away, and I couldn't hold. His hand went for the sheath of his left wrist. My punch landed right below the ribs. He doubled but had the knife. I swung again. The knife clattered away, and that's when I yanked the veil off his face. No, not the veil, no. In the struggle, I had a good look at his face. Black, silky, thin beard, pale skin below the eyes. Not the face of Gerard, but a lot like it. By then, the noise of the fight was bringing a lot of people. A smart foreigner doesn't get caught brawling in the native quarter. So I let him have one right in the button, and he went down. I stuffed his veil in my pocket and then dug for an alley, kept it up till I was sure I was safe. Then I went on to the Shari El Gama. All right, that is the first portion of Rocky Jordan from December 11th, 1949, The Veiled People. 
starring Jack Moyles, uh, as heard on CBS. We'll get back to that in just a moment. I want to remind everyone listening that our podcast, which is called Radio Rarities, that is, uh, we don't broadcast that. It's a podcast only. And we do include it in our regular Hollywood 360 podcast that we send out to podcast subscribers every Monday and also our classic radio club members. You get that tacked on to the end of the five-hour Hollywood 360 show. But we are um, we are making it available wherever podcasts are disseminated. So if you are not a classic radio club member and you are not a podcast subscriber and you'd like to hear Radio Rarities, and we do produce one of these each and every week, just uh, search Radio Rarities uh, at Google or go to iHeart or Acast or Realm or... Um, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can hear Radio Rarities. And Lisa and I are the co-hosts. Mike's the producer. And Carl Shadow writes it. And we um, we introduce very unique classic radio shows and give you tons and tons of information on it. Search Radio Rarities and listen to it wherever podcasts are heard. We'll get back to Rocky Jordan after this. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, and Suspense, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows, along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360. We broadcast on hundreds of radio stations coast to coast. We're heard all over the country and uh, all over the world on American Forces Radio. 168 countries carry American Forces Radio signal. We're on The Voice, which is their number one uh, channel on American Forces Radio. And we've been doing this show for 15 years. And when I say we, I mean Lisa Wolf is my co-host. And Mike Estella, my executive producer, Mike Bubblebath Estella, as he's known to millions. And uh, is that right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think I um, I gave you that nickname, right? I mean, I I, I I definitely can take credit for that, right, Mike? Yes, absolutely. Mike Bubblebath. The reason why I call him Bubblebath is because he uh, literally takes these uh, classic radio discs. Their 16-inch transcription discs takes them into the bubble bath with him. And um, while he's enjoying his bubble bath, he's working away, cleaning these discs so that when we play them on the air, they sound great. So we appreciate you, you know, um, kind of doing double duty there, Mike. Thank you. Yeah. Um, our listeners appreciate that, and that's why this show sounds so good. 
We uh, we only use master recordings. We only use radio shows directly from the master recordings when we air them here and when we offer them in our club, the Classic Radio Club. So um, we do thank Mike for all his hard work. He's the best in the biz. We appreciate you, Mike. And I come to work clean. Yeah, very clean. Oh, man, squeaky clean, as they say. We're listening to Rocky Jordan. This is called The Veiled People. It stars Jack Moyles from December 11, 1949. Here's the conclusion. A dim streetlight pointed out the place I was after, a hovel fronting the street. A horse-drawn Gary, complete with driver, stood in front. Before I reached it, I had one more hurdle. Another time, out of the way, Imshi. For the unfortunate blind, for the eyes that do not see. Out of your cheek, Imshi. I shook him off as I saw a frightened native girl run from the house. She dumped a bundle of clothes in the gary and was climbing in fast. Quickly now, driver. Uh, Just a minute, lady, I want to talk to you. No, It's about Jared. I've got to see him. Where is he? Driver, whip the horse. Do not wait. A la tool. I had my hand on the gary, but it yanked away and I went sprawling. By the time I was up again, the gary had carried the girl far down the street. Too fast to follow. Well, the door to the house was wide open, so I went in. Found a candle, lit it, and after a couple of minutes looking, decided I'd find nothing there. I was right, and I was wrong. Turn around, Signora Jordan. More carefully, so. I turned and faced the voice. He stood in the doorway, wearing a black flop hat over a mottled face. His crooked teeth were showing, but the grin wasn't pleasant. And he held a gun. Sit down, Signor Jordan, sit down. We will talk about her now. Sit down, sit down. Sure. Now, tell me all about it. I must ask you, where did she go? I don't know. Obviously, you too have an interest in her, else why are you here? I came looking for Gerard. Now, only because he might lead you to her. Is that not so? No, no, I knew nothing about her. It happens Gerard works for me at my cafe. Yes, 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 I know. I followed him for a time from your cafe tonight, but uh, the wily one evaded me. That's how you know my name. I uh, didn't get yours. Antonio Scorpio, signor. Now, how does Gerard concern you? Oh, none at all, except as an excellent bait. Now, let us forget about well, it. While you're about it, maybe you can explain a bunch of guys running around Cairo with veils over their faces. Let them return to their beds of sand where they belong. They're no fear of mine. Ah, but the girl is. Why? Senor, I'm beginning to wonder if you do know anything of this. Is it possible you do not know who she is? You got it right. Then you do not know her worth in gold or silver. I'm just waiting for you to tell me. I believe I will offer you something even better, my friend. This begins to shape up like a deal. Well, perhaps it is. It seems that you have won the confidence of this Gerard. It is possible that he places a certain uh, trust in you. You will wait here for him. Yeah? You have only to obtain the whereabouts of the girl whose name is Sheila. Bring the information to me, and you shall be well repaid. And what happens to her and Gerard? That need never concern you. Well, senor? You think I'd go for a deal like that? Well, we who for reasons cannot return to our own country must live as best we can. (laughs) Now, you answer. Tell me all of it. I'll decide then. Then you will get out of here. 
I will wait alone and you will get nothing. All right, have it your way, Scorpio. See, si, see. Si. Arrivederci, signore, ma mark you. Keep your lips sealed. Your life means no more to me than those of the desert. Now get out. <laughs> The next morning, I was reading the paper over some coffee when an item on page two caught my eye. Body of unidentified murder victim found in house at 1410 Sharia El Gama. Body taken to morgue. That was all. Now, but not for me. 1410 Sharia El Gama was the house I'd visited the night before. I went to headquarters to pay my last respects to Gerard. Greco was still sitting at Sam's desk. I repeat, Mr. Jordan, the captain Sabayas in Port Said. I am in command. All right, you'll do, Greco. You brought in a body from a place in Shari El Gama last night. I'd like to see it. You seem to have a special zest for the dead. Cut it. Just take me to the morgue. You think you can identify him? Yeah, I think so. This way, Mr. Jordan. (coughs) You seem most tired. Perhaps the affairs of the night? Yeah. Could it be that you saw more of the men with veils or perhaps the masks on their faces? That's right. Want to hear about them? Indeed not. Your dreams obviously confuse Cairo with Chicago. Over here. Hmm. This the one? Feast your eyes, Mr. Jordan. What? That's not... Your obvious surprise does not escape me, Mr. Jordan. Who is he? Not who I thought. Name's Antonio Scorpio. Antonio Scorpio? How'd he die? From the knife, of course. Oh, this one on the table here? Do not touch the knife, Mr. Jordan. Oh, I wouldn't think of it. You ever see a knife like that? In my time, I have seen many knives. They're all for one purpose. Now, I have other matters. Are you coming, Mr. Jordan? Yeah, sure, Greco. Thanks for everything. I followed him up and went out. My thanks to Greco had been for the knife I pocketed as he turned away was exactly like the ones carried by the veiled men. I caught the first taxi and made it across town to the Cairo Museum. After a little waiting, got in to see the curator of the weapons division, kindly white-topped Mr. Winters. I introduced myself and laid the knife on his desk. Well, it's not the best specimen, Mr. Jordan, but it seems authentic. Wicked-looking thing. Where did you get it? Well, let's say I found it, Mr. Winters. Who'd use a knife like that? It is the favorite weapon of the Toreg. They sheathe them to the wrist for instant use. Toreg? Yes, Toreg. Remarkable people. Nomads living in the heart of the Sahara. Called by many the land of fear. Yeah, that much checks. I'm trying to remember, there's something different about the Toreg. <laughs> I should say. By some, they are known as the Desert Raiders. By others, and I think more appropriately, the people of the Vale. Of course, the Vales. They all wear veils? No, no. Not the women, Mr. Jordan. Only the men. The Litham, it is called. Black cloth that hides the faces of the men day and night. I still don't get it. Who can say? An answer lost in antiquity. Custom gone into reverse, you might say. In fact, a mild form of matriarchy exists. Mr. Winters. Yes? Supposing one of the Tarek wanted to get away from the tribe, then lose his identity. How could he best do that? Why, well, really, I couldn't say. All he'd have to do is change to other clothes and take off the veil. His own people might not even recognize him. (laughs) But hardly likely. They consider removing the veil as shameful. Well, that's a thought. Is it uh, possible that you are a writer, Mr. Jordan? Uh, Nobody'd ever believe this story. Well, thanks, Mr. Winters. Oh, not at all, not at all. Uh, 
Please let me know how your story turns out. Sure. If I ever find out myself. Well, I suppose I could have dropped it right there, but I was thinking about the frightened native girl I'd seen running from Jared's house. Maybe I remembered the hundred pounds Jared had snatched from my till. Anyhow, I decided to try for more, and that took me back to the native quarter. I found the blind man not far from where he'd been begging the night before. Hey, we met last night, remember? Ah, the voice of the foreigner who offered no piastres. Well, I got plenty today. Allah will bless you. A native girl got into a gary here last night. There was a driver. My ears heard the sound. A whole handful of piastres for the name of the driver of that gary. If any, the driver I do not know. But on the gary, the number is very clear for everyone to see. In English, it would be 27. Thanks. Here you are. What's a Shakira thing then? Bakshish! Bakshish! It took half an hour to locate the driver of Gary 27 and a half pound to get him to tell me where he'd taken the girl to a little town south of the Nile called Helwan. So I invested some more money and had him take me there. Helwan turned out to be nothing more than a tiny boat stop. There were a few windowless shacks along the Nile banks. The driver pointed to one and was gone. I got to the open door of the shack and went in. I waited for my eyes to get accustomed to the dim light. So even to this sad place you choose to follow? I saw her then, standing across the room at the wall. It was the girl, Sheila. Small, oval-faced. She stood erect, but helpless. Like those of the Torag. Like the vicious Scorpio you come to torment us. I only came to find Jared. Find out what this is all about. Where is he? I would not tell. What do you know of Gerard? He worked for me in my cafe. Oh, then, then you are the good Effendi Jordan of whom Gerard speaks well. Yeah, from whom he took a hundred pounds. Oh, he will repay. He took it only to help me escape, to pay the driver who came for me to get us away. But why? Scorpio was after you. What for? Who are you? I am Sheila, daughter of Sheikh Amenekal, a man of wealth and position on the Munda Oasis to the south of Algiers. You're a long way from home. Would would you hear my story, Effendi Jordan? All right, Sheila. Go ahead. Well, first you must know, Effendi, that at home I was not happy. My father had betrothed me to one I did not love. Then one night the Torah raiders came and took me into the desert, holding me for ransom. You can understand my terror. I, who had been protected always from the world. They would have been cruel to me, all but Gerard. He was tender and shielded me from the others. Such is fate, but for the will of Allah that, that I should come to love Gerard. And, and he loved me. He aided me in my escape. Together we went to the city and I became his wife. I dared not return to my father who would not accept Gerard as my husband. Gerard removed the blue robes and the veil, hoping that the vengeful tribesmen would not find him. But it was not so easy. We went from one place to another, even to Cairo, but still they followed. Well, that's quite a story, Sheila. Well, what about Scorpio? Oh, somehow he learned of me. Perhaps for reward, perhaps for the ransom he would take me, but I am not sure. That's why Gerard killed him? Oh, no. No, Effendi, Gerard never returned to the house. Gerard was waiting here. And I return now. Oh, Gerard, no! Let it, Gerard. Drop that knife. Jordan, sir. Do not harm him. He comes in peace, my husband. Only you come, Jordan, sir. That's right, Gerard. Sheila's told me everything. 
You should have told me to begin with. No, then you would not want me to work for you. For money to take her away. Well, you found other ways of getting it. Those of my tribe came too quickly. I will repay. The promise of the Toreg is good. What's your plan now? A small passenger boat arrives at dusk. We would board it and travel far south to the interior. Where we trust they will not find us again. You would not stop us, Effendi Jordan? No. Not even if I could. We are eternally grateful. I waited there with him the rest of the afternoon. When evening came, Sheila picked up her few belongings and we went down to the small dock on the river. Well after sunset, a boat slid up to the dock's edge. A narrow gangplank came down, but the deck was strangely deserted. All we could see was the pilot up in the cabin and his face was straight ahead. Something didn't look right. Jared, I do not understand this. Come, Sheila. We must not wait. Hold it, Jared. Who's on there? Speak up. Where's the crew? If you are coming, get aboard. Quickly. As he says. No, no. Better let me check. Wait here with Sheila. Hey, where is everybody? So, again, the offender. Jared, get up here. I come, Jared, sir. I come. I was pinned from behind. He was heavy but too anxious, and I sent him sailing over my head, blue robes and all. As Gerard reached the deck, a second of the veiled men was mixing in. A third was scrambling down from the pilot's cabin. My foot slowed him. By then, a lot of knives were flashing, and I looked to the safety of Sheila. That's when I saw something else. A horse-drawn Gary, racing down to the water's edge, loaded down with uniforms that came piling out, headed by none other than Sergeant Grego. Stop at once! What is the meaning of this? Step it up, will you? Onto the boat, quickly! He's on the boat! How'd you get here, Grego? So, Mr. Jordan... Is not the fact that I am here enough? Yeah, can't say I ever cared for your face, Grego. But I'm sure glad to see it now. Well, with Grego and the police swarming around, the veiled men gave it up before too much damage was done to anybody. About that time, the pilot of the boat, who'd been held at the wheel by the Torek's knife, came scrambling down. He was glad enough to turn the boat around. And with all of us aboard, we went back down the Nile and docked at Cairo. The three veiled men got a cell apiece. Gerard and Sheila waited outside as Greco commanded me into Sam Sabaya's office. I will now complete the dossier on this case. Sit there, Mr. Jordan. Yes, sir, Greco. Oh, by the way, Sam always has coffee. It can wait. Now, first, the matter of 100 pounds stolen by Gerard from your cafe. Well, I'm not preferring charges, Greco. Gerard will pay up. Uh, very well, as you wish. They've both been through enough. Jared asked for it when he helped Sheila escape from the Toreg. I can understand why they didn't go right to her father, Sheik Amenakal. Jared's life wouldn't have been worth much. Oh, is this boring you? Oh, quite to the contrary, Mr. Jordan. Well, the Toreg must have been asking a fancy ransom. Somehow, Antonio Scorpio got wind of it. He located Sheila and Jared and followed along, figuring to cut in. When the veiled men found Scorpio at Jared's house last night, it was their chance to get rid of him. Of course, you didn't check on Scorpio. You will be disappointed. Antonio Scorpio was a notorious criminal, last known operating in Algiers. (laughs) Good boy, Greco. Sam's going to be real proud of you. That is my intent. You are most kind to help. Me? It is so easy to follow the Occidental mind. What are you getting at? It happens that I intended to do nothing. But the matter of the knife which disappeared from the morgue it was so like you, Mr. Jordan. Well, yeah. It's all yours, Greco. At that point, I invoked the command of the Capitan Sabaya when he left me in charge. 
that should you again become involved in one of your usual escapades, that questions would prove futile. I was only to watch you and follow. It was simple for us both to take the same path. How'd you find me down at Hell One? The driver of the garret take both you and Sheila to the Nile Town. Could he not also take those of the police? Sure. Just one thing, Greco. No rough stuff with Jared. Huh? Sheik Amanakal will be notified immediately, Mr. Jordan. It is a duty. And what then? Do not be concerned. Their marriage seems quite legal. Her father cannot force the girl's return. The man Jared, under surveillance, may remain with her in Egypt. Yeah, yeah, that's the way Sam and Anna. As you say, the Captain Sabaya will be most pleased with my report. <laughs> This is Rocky Jordan again. Next week, I want to tell you about the trouble I had trying to figure whether something was very old or very new. I'll tell you this much now. It had to do with a bird who kept bees. Rocky Jordan, starring Jack Moyles with Jay Novello, is presented each week through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. All right, that is Rocky Jordan from December 11th, 1949. The Veiled People, starring Jack Moyles, along with Jay Novello, the announcer on there, Larry Thor, along with uh, Lou Krugman, was in the cast as well. Great great show. Rocky Jordan is heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. Next week, we have more great radio shows, but we're going to have a special announcement for you right after this, uh, right after this quick break. So stay with us. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Join us next week, Hollywood 360, when we play Bold Venture, the Jack Benny program, Let George Do It, Gunsmoke, and the Philco Radio Time. Be sure to visit our official website, Hollywood360radio.com. From my co-host, Lisa Wolf, our executive producer, Mike Costella, my crabby brother, Vince Amari, from Carl Shadow, and from me, Carl Amari, saying, stay safe, be healthy. Thanks for listening. You know, I got to tell you, folks, special announcement. Next week, we were going to have a special Easter program, but Lisa is going to take the week off because she's going to go visit her kids in Boston. So we're going to run a repeat next week. There will be a show, but we're going to take a week off. So have a great week. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.